0: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livius Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is a special, special occasion for 2019, because we're about to do something we haven't done since the beginning of May, and that's not review a book or interview an author.
1: Yeah, um, it's funny, because I thought to myself, you know, like, we need a break. We need a break, so we need to do an interlude. But then I realized that we just had a break, so we skipped a week yeah just a couple of weeks ago um uh, but that didn't feel like a break that just felt like shirking responsibility to me so this this <laughs> was truly a break like we had a scheduled interlude episode um and uh we didn't uh read anything we're gonna talk about i mean i may talk about some of the stuff i read but we're not gonna review a book which feels weird now
0: yeah i think it bears mentioning that in the week that we had i'm putting up the air quotes off you how many books do we usually read in a week livius one, how many did you read in the week we had off?
1: two <laughs> so
0: I think you did that backwards.
1: I need a break and quite <laughs> quite honestly, I probably would have been well through a third one, but we'll talk about that on next week's episode <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's it's funny because I just I feel weird when I like I'm very much um uh, like I like to follow the same routines so. Like, I go to work, you know, I go to lunch, I hop in my car, I pull in the drive-thru, like, absentmindedly reaching for my Kindle inside my bag, and I'm like, wait, I'm not reading anything. And then I sit there, like, confused, like, I don't know what to do with my time, because I should (laughs) pull out a book. Well, it's this bad. I pull up, I get to the speaker, I order my food. Once I order my food, as I move up, I pull my book out, I turn on the Kindle, I flip the little reporter cover over. Like, I throw it on the dashboard. I pay for my food. I set my food down. I pull into a parking spot, and I put my Kindle on the steering wheel. Then I go into my bag, and, you know, and then I proceed to eat and read. Like, I, I have a hard time eating food.
0: you're <laughs> not can't reading?
1: Get my so, yeah, so that's, yeah.
0: That's, uh, I, I get it. I get it. There's been, I did have nights where I'm like, um, you know, kind of like similar you know routine type feeling where get home you know do my usual kind of like relaxing settling in kind of chilling for a little bit and then it get to a moment in the evening
1: where it's like why don't i have anything to do so i i get it so yeah I did read uh, I did read two books for anybody um, that's interested. The two books that I read um, this past week were um, Holy Death, which is a Billy Lafitte book. It's uh, number four in the Billy Lafitte series by Anthony Neal Smith, which I've had in my possession for over two years now and somehow <laughs> just got around um, to reading it. Um, enjoyable. I like I like the direction it took. very good on that one. The other one was a little weird for me. 'Cause it's the first time I've read, you know, what what is a legendary author and it's like a weird, like kinda nonfiction book. Um, A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway. You're familiar, Hemingway, you've heard of the guy? Uh I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wrote some stuff. Have you ever read any Hemingway? I have not.
0: I, I do know that his granddaughter is married to the guy that invented the Dexter series.
1: Oh, that's so interesting.
0: There you, yeah, that's interesting. not the direction you expected that conversation to go. I No,
1: not at all. <laughs> well, this is, uh, I don't know, it's weird, because it's kind of autobiographical, but I mean, even in the book, he kind of says that some of it's fiction, so whatever. It was recommended by a friend of the podcast, Kevin Lynn Helmick, who thought I would enjoy it because of the numerous, uh, it, it, it's all about Hemingway's time in Paris. So there is a lot of Parisian-speak happening um, in there and it was enjoyable but it was very different because it was it, it was published after he died so it's a little choppy and it seems like um like this was an unfinished work kind of put together but it was weird because it's not so much a story as like a series of vignettes about mm. him living in Paris and like the people he hung out with and stuff Alistair Crowley gets a mention in there which is a little weird something you don't expect that's interesting it's I, actually a, I'm sorry no go ahead Let me say this. it's actually a funny anecdote um I, I don't know who the person is Hemingway is sitting with somebody um and he's t- t- at a cafe and someone else walks by and this person claims like they they gave the person a stink eye mm-hmm. you know like, like they, they go oh that's so and so and did you see how I gave him the stink eye and he looked away and walked away and Anyway, the guy who Hemingway is with leaves. And as he walks by again, hem- the, the guy walks past, you know, coming the other way, like back from where he's coming from. And he says to someone else, oh, look, there's so-and-so. My companion gave him the stink eye. And he's like, dude, that's not so-and-so. That's Aleister Crowley. <laughs> so kind of cool that uh, in 1920s in Paris, uh, Ernest Hemingway can be sitting in a cafe as Aleister Crowley walks by. Kind of a small world situation. And things you don't expect to read about, I guess. Yeah, he's not who I thought would come up. I, I expected, you know, Picasso and have Scott Fitzgerald and all like the famous right. people from that e- gang.
0: Even a Salvador Dali or something like that.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's what I did. What'd you do with your week off? Uh, I watched...
0: <laughs> I watched seven Friday the 13th movies. <laughs>
1: So, all right, I have questions.
0: All right, so context um, on our recent—I think it was September and a Friday the thir— it must have been because it's October first right now. So uh, on Friday the thirteenth, iTunes had a sale where um, Friday the thirteenth numbers one through eight were twelve ninety nine, so thirteen bucks. I was like thirteen bucks for eight movies, duh. So I bought them. Uh, and then I didn't watch them on Friday the Thirteenth, uh, but I I was just kind of like filling a void. <clears throat> I felt like, man, I bought these. I should probably watch. It's been so long, and I didn't watch the first one because I think, you know, it's the one that I've seen more than pretty much any other. So I started with part two, and I and I watched, <laughs> I watched through Jason Takes Manhattan part eight, and man, like. And, and I paid attention. It wasn't like because you, you you watch a movie that you've seen before or whatever, and you just kind of like mm-hmm. you hear it while you're doing other shit. Like I actually like paid attention to the films. It was it was uh it was interesting.
1: I um, how much did you say it was for these movies? Thirteen bucks. Yeah, you overpaid. Why? Like <laughs> just after like the second part, after part two, it's oh, all because they're garbage. Downhill. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> They're so bad. I, I, it's funny because I couldn't remember what number it was. Well, you were saying that before you got to Jason Takes Manhattan. All I want to ask was, did you fucking watch Jason Takes Manhattan, too? Because that's... That, uh, yeah. And, and so
0: the thing that I've noticed is um, there's kind of... I guess you could probably graph this. But in the beginning, it's like high levels of poor acting, bad effects... And tons and tons of naked women, and then, as the like the series goes on, better acting in quotes <laughs> better effects, way, way fewer naked women. um so I think they really chose to go in a specific direction, uh, which whatever it, it makes sense as they became a more popular series and stuff but um and the body count went up steadily. I think the first movie maybe had like 10 or 11 total deaths and by Jason takes Manhattan. It's like 25.
1: Yeah. It's um, it's something that was happening um, around that time, like the mid to late eighties. It, it's all of them were like, how do we get the body count higher? How do we get the body count higher? So because I was thinking about that before you said that um, there are, so I found a, a, a count it's based on 12 films. So the eight that you purchased plus the other four, which are Jason X and a new Friday the 13th or whatever, would you like to um, take a guess at how many people Jason killed?
0: Oh, that's tricky because like, I'm going to assume that it's, it's a Jason kill, like whether it's Jason himself or like, cause like in Jason goes to hell, it's like he's in, inhabiting other people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's all inclusive. Uh, I want to say 125.
1: That is frighteningly close. So this uh, target is 146. Hey, So I'm assuming, kind of like you said, I'm assuming that includes, spoiler alert, um, his mom killing people in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and while we're on it, uh, you're fairly familiar with Michael Myers, right?
0: And not nearly as much. You're, you're way more okay. of an expert,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in 10 films, 10 Michael Myers myers films and this article would this article is from 2009 so that would not count the the reboot the recent reboot um well more or less than jason i would imagine less yeah yeah two thirds 94 only 94 people yeah uh how about freddy krueger you got anything on freddy Uh,
0: how many how many films can you give me that eight Eight films, so that's the original, like Nightmare on Elm Street through whatever. Does it include Freddy versus Jason? Okay,
1: I would imagine so.
0: I'm gonna give him. I want to say Jason still kills more. I'm gonna give him like a
1: hundred five. He only kills (laughs) thirty five.
0: Jesus, Freddy's a little
1: bitch. Fucking lame, yeah, lame. A lame sauce he really Uh, he
0: he, he really limits himself by like i have to be in your dream like come on jason can kill anybody anytime anywhere
1: that's true that's true um yeah it you know there i'm sure somebody has done and i'm I'm probably gonna look it up because you know what it's october right like the the kind of parallel between Jason and and uh, Michael Myers is uh, is interesting because they were you know introduced around the same time with the kind of exact same skill set. Like I wear a yeah. mask, I don't talk, you know. So I, I'm I'm interested to see if someone has done a really deep dive. Um, so I, I may I may have to look that up uh, in the coming weeks up to leading up to Halloween. Maybe I'll maybe I'll share the results on uh, our Halloween Spooked Tacular episode. Did I send you my message? How
0: I, I thought it, the interesting thing about mm-hmm. the because, like, watching the first movie, you know that the, all the killing—it's revealed at the end of the first movie—all the killing is done by the mom, um, in re, you know, out of revenge for the counselor's letting her son die while they were like out boning or whatever. <clears throat> so that's that's a revenge flick for her son dying, and she dies in that movie. And then so the second movie is the son getting revenge for her mom dying because she was getting revenge for her son
1: dying and it's just kind of funny that that's it is how it all yeah that's um that's why revenge is uh it's always one of those things there's always someone else to get revenge right I mean at some point I have to imagine and I don't remember I mean I watch these I don't want to say as they came out but as they came out for the most part yeah at some point someone's probably trying to get revenge and looking for jason because jason killed a loved one of theirs
0: oh yeah and then that's the whole like if you're if you're trying to get revenge dig two graves or whatever i don't know
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um whatever that thing is I, i just like the to not not to make this the this is the friday the 13th deep dive analysis episode or anything but like the one thing i noticed is the only time like psychology came into effect with like the defeat or weakening of, of Jason in these movies was either someone was trying to make him believe that they were his mom or, um, that they were him like the, as a kid, like the kid that drowned or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, it's this like weird trauma focused thing. Eh, Uh, just interesting. And Corey Feldman was, uh, <laughs> a, a pivotal part of like one of the movie I don't know it, it's just a weird but there was a guy trying to get revenge on Jason in one of, in in the in the whichever one Cory Feldman was in because Jason killed his like I don't know sibling or whatever a lot of revenge a lot of boobs
1: a lot of revenge and less and less boobs as time goes on yeah it's probably
0: better probably for the better
1: um yeah
0: yeah all right, um, <laughs> that, that was my week. Way, way that, more explanation to my
1: week than yours. Keep reading. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's. I'm just shocked that that's how you spent your week. I'm just, I'm just still still like we talked about, like we had a conversation about it, and then I had to remind myself, like, oh yeah, he watched seven Friday the Thirteenth movies in a row. I mean, like, it's pretty know, over over the course of days. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: that's not the only thing that i watched this week um and i know you watched it too and it's pretty exciting so do you want to talk about what that is
1: so i'm not sure the world needed this thing that happened but Creepshow show was rebooted <laughs> yeah um and uh, the reason that rob says it's exciting isn't so much that um yeah we were excited about a creep show reboot i, I was not do you remember do you did you see any of the creep show like movies
0: i am gonna tell you so uh i don't think so however all right i'm gonna start this with a question was there at any point um like someone get well, this is gonna sound so dumb because it's so vague in my mind someone dies they get buried and then someone's like visiting their grave and, and he comes up out of the ground asking for his cake or something like that.
1: Um, maybe.
0: Cause that scared the shit out of me. And I think it was creep. I think it was, it could be. Yeah. But I was so young. Um,
1: Yeah. Well, it was 19 like 82.
0: Yeah. yeah, So
1: that was, yeah, that was, we were both very young at the time. Um, I do remember seeing creep show. I don't remember being really, you know, excited by it. Uh, they did do, uh, a Creep Show 2, and then much more recently, Creep Show 3. So, sort of stalling a little bit, so it blows up. 2006 was Creep Show 3. So, I'm not sure the world needed a new Creep Show. Um, hmm. It's on, it's on Shudder. So, um, look, nobody actually subscribes to Shudder, but they do have a seven <laughs> day free trial that you can use if you want to see uh, the first episode of Creep Show or if you want to wait a month or two to. Um, you know, to, to catch this, but the first episode was Stephen King, so a story by Stephen King, which you know that's that's kind of cool, right? Um, called Gray Matter. The thing that we were excited about was Josh Mallerman's The House of the Head. Um, these are the two stories that that appear um, in the first episode of Creep Show, and they're each like twenty-ish minutes long. Uh, that's that's where the excitement came from.
0: Yeah. So this is something that kind of hit our radar um i think early like a few months back it, they they started to like hype it up and like they li- they listed all the authors who had written stories for the for the show and stuff and stephen king's name flew out there mallerman's name flew out there and i was like all right i want to see how someone adapts a mailerman story to the screen like uh, obviously aside from bird box and um so I was like, yeah, I'm going to check it out. But again, like, I, yeah, not the not something that I was like super excited in. Like, oh, this is like something from my like, youth I can relive or whatever, just because really the the allure was Mallerman. And um, it's 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 one of those things where I think it's six or seven episodes or something. It's not a lot of episodes. And each one is maybe 40 minutes, long. It's seven episodes. And they're like full, like you know, with commercials cut out hour long type episodes um, split in half. So each one has two stories. Um, so it's interesting kind of anthological. Um, but yeah, dude, I really enjoyed, actually, I really enjoyed both the stories, but I think Mallerman's was more um, kind of that, like this could happen to me kind of scare,
1: which I always enjoy. We're going to have to examine that. Maybe, maybe off the air. Um, yeah, so I, I'm super happy for Josh, um, first of all, getting um something else, a short story adapted into something that's got a little bit of news behind it, right? Because yeah. it's a creep show. It's a reboot. Um. Second of all, what better place than at the first episode and then with Stephen King? Yeah, alongside who, although, Stephen King. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure who all the writers are that are credited in this, but I, I find it hard to believe there's a name bigger. Than Stephen King. Right. So Stephen King adjacency is uh, is cool. I'll be honest. I uh I didn't like the Stephen King story. I, I just I thought it was it was predictable and and it was hokey. And and the more I thought about this, I, <laughs> I went down this kind of rabbit hole of all right, I, I really like Josh's story. And there's there's you know, there's a lot to talk about in Josh's story. All I'm gonna say is that, you know, this is um no no pun intended when I say it this way. It's interesting to see, like, small-scale horror. Yep. Like, here's a very localized situation. It's really a small story. And seeing how that can be um, scary or frightening is great. Um, Stephen King's just reminded me of the old, like... There's a show called Monsters. There's a show called uh, Tales from the Dark Side. And it reminded me very much of that. But I thought to myself, like, okay... People pay millions of dollars to produce Stephen King video, we'll call it. So, you know, whatever, TV series or movies and stuff. So I'm not surprised that we got a meh Stephen King story out of it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where somebody like Josh, I'm sure, put his best foot forward and, and when asked to participate or whatever, like really gave up some of his best work. You know what I mean? So there's right. that difference between being Stephen King and getting paid millions for your stories. So when something like this comes up, you're like, oh, I've got this one thing, you know, and you some kind of cast-off story, so to speak, versus, like, the really good stuff. So I really thought Josh's stories shined, and I think, you know, obviously he's a talented writer. Um, but, man, after watching those two, you know, he did a better job than Stephen King for whatever the reason, and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of him.
0: Um, I, I agree. Like, the the Stephen King story was... I'm going to use the word serviceable. And, and to your point, he might have just been like, all right, well, here's something that is not in development somewhere else or X, Y, Z, the old Stephen Graham Jones. I went to one of my hard drives, <laughs> you know, and dug up a story. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so he might not have put the effort in that. I, I could see Josh Mailer and because he's such like a, he's so in love with like horror and the history of horror like it's i could see him seeing the opportunity to participate in like the reawakening of a classic horror thing
1: would would be very exciting to him yeah yeah so i definitely uh definitely like that the better of the two um but it it, it was fun overall yeah um uh, i will say that <clears throat> the crypt keeper He's the, in case you're not aware, he's the, the, you know, whatever, MC. He's the guy they show before and, you know, and after the, yeah. uh, the episodes. <clears throat> it's 2019. I felt like they could have done a better job with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looked like they stopped by that Spirit of Halloween or whatever, like, store. Right before they started yeah. filming. Not a lot of effort, or at least they just wanted it to look campy, maybe. I don't know. Um, but... uh yeah, not super impressed. Can I say one thing about Josh's story? Sure. Um without without really spoiling it, but there's a dollhouse involved and the cinematography involved with like moving the camera view from like one part of the dollhouse inside one part of the dollhouse to another. They did that so fucking well. I think that had they filmed it differently the impact of of the story would not have been as good but like the way they filmed the movement around that dollhouse
1: was excellent i don't know if you paid attention to it um i did i, I thought you know all right i have a couple of problems with the episode i'm not going to get into here whatever <laughs> um yes i agree that cinema cinematographically <laughs> sure yeah cinematography was good it was definitely good. Like I said, it's just interesting. Like, it didn't really depend on jump scares or anything like that. And like I said, it's a really small-scale story that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, that, that delivered. So, I liked it. Yep. So,
0: I'll probably watch all of them. I don't see why I wouldn't. Nothing's holding me back from that, from from this first episode. But I'm not, like, you know, Penny Dreadful excited about it.
1: No. Are you excited about that new Penny Dreadful? Dia de los Muertos, or whatever it's called? I... Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um i don't think that's what it's called
1: <laughs> okay
0: um but I, i'm i'm cautiously optimistic. it's city of angels um i'm cautiously i
1: o- think it was called dia de los muert okay right
0: i don't know i i there's i don't know you tell me but uh i'm cautiously optimistic there are a few people in there that i'm very excited to see um primarily natalie dormer You know who natalie dormer is
1: I do. I'm well aware. Yeah,
0: really like her. Rory Kinnear, who was um, the the monster in the in the Penny Dread, original Penny, Penny Dreadful series, is in okay. it. So pretty excited about that. I don't know how Nathan Lane's going to turn out, but he's in it. So, yeah, I'm not sure who he is. He uh, he was in the birdcage with with uh, Robin Williams. He plays gay and like everything. Anyway. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I I I want to see it. I definitely want to see it. I'm very excited about it.
1: Well, I'm excited for you. I don't think I ever actually finished Penny Dreadful. Uh I that sounds that's crazy to me. Like
0: it is a very it is a good ending. It is a good ending. It's only three seasons, and they're all, like, ten episodes, so it's easy to I feel
1: like I have four episodes left, and I have nothing to back that up with. I know that I got close to the end, and I think... I don't know. I think it was one of those, like, I forgot where I left off, so I just Mm. stopped watching.
0: Yeah, they really dive into, like... It gets weird with, like, some of the bad guys. I I almost spoiled who the bad guy was. But then it also just dives really deep into, like, the emotional, like, trauma of of some of the characters' pasts. So, it's a weird third season
1: it is um all right moving off of tv and books and whatever we'll sort off of books (laughs) um something broke some news broke here in chicago and it wouldn't have occurred to me to talk about it but you mentioned it before the uh before the podcast so so tell me what you what you've got on libraries
0: yeah so um actually as of today the chicago public library um Wow, this article. Oh, all right. No, I just, I was reading it poorly. Chicago Sun-Times, the headline is Chicago Public Library to Eliminate Late Fees, Erase Debt, and Begin Automatic Renewals for Up to 45 Weeks. Starting today. Eliminate late fees and get rid of all the, the late fees that already exist.
1: I am going to make some assumptions here. Um, cause you're the only person and I didn't even read an article. I saw like a little headline about it earlier, something, someone shared on social media or something. Um, I would imagine that most people find this to be good news. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little different on this. I'm going to go against the grain. I am all for them for giving late fees. Cause I'm sure that there are people who don't go to a library. Like people don't go to a video swell, assuming that anybody still goes to a video store. But, you know, there are times in my life where I owe the video store like 15 bucks. I was like, well, I can't go back there until I pay that off. So then I wound up just not going to the video store, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of all for that for a library. I do take some, you know, exception to no late fees and 45 weeks worth of renewals. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Well, I mean, think about that, right? So let's say that, uh, let's say you're really excited to read, I don't know, whatever, A Moveable Feast by Ernest Hemingway, right? And you go down to your local library and you figure it's Hemingway, they got to have a copy or two, right? You go down there and you go into the card catalog and you flip through all the index cards or use a computer or whatever. And you walk over to the shelf and you find out it's out, right? So you do some inquiring and you find out that, yeah, it was checked out. A guy named Rob checked it out just yesterday. So, three weeks. It should be back in three weeks. And you go, okay, three weeks. Da, 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 you come back, and it's still gone. I mean, how do you keep a book for 45 goddamn weeks is what I'm trying to say. Because you're really depriving other people of its use. I'm
0: Sure, yeah.
1: All I'm so, saying is getting rid of late fees eliminates the... Um, the incentive to bring back a book in what we'll call a timely fashion. Okay.
0: That's definitely one perspective. So I'll read a little bit. I'll read bits and pieces from the article about why they made that choice. Um, We're removing one of the most important barriers to access. Um, They say, all right. So basically what's happening is the measure part of a series of library reforms that will officially be announced Monday, Monday, seeks to bring equity to a system that for years has locked out library users when they accrue $10 worth of fines, a penalty that disproportionately affects poor families who need free access to books and high-speed internet the most. Uh, turns out that particularly in Chicago, the communities that aren't as socioeconomically well-off, people are blocked for using libraries from that $10 fine, and as you move north in the city, that is not as evident. Basically, for anybody who's not from Chicago, the farther north you go, the more well-off the people are, um, let's see. One of every three library card holders in the library's South District uh, is locked out, In the North District and area north of North Avenue only one in six card holders are locked out. So basically, they're saying that it was um, it was it, it's a bigger hurdle for the people in poor areas to overcome than it is for people in the the richer areas. So, getting rid of that. Um, barrier makes it so that the people in poor areas are more likely to return to libraries because they they aren't denied that access once they have those fines.
1: And again, I'm supportive of a forgiveness plan or something along those lines. I just again don't see what the incentive is for me to bring a book back to the library in less than 44 weeks. Because, I mean, obviously, it would just happen again, right? Once a book's 45 weeks late, you would incur fees again, and then you would still be locked out. I'm assuming something along those lines. Well, and then here's the other part that I thought,
0: you know, at least kind of like strengthens, strengthens their point a little bit. The data clearly shows that late fines are not effective in promoting the return of books or increasing the number of residents in compliance while locking many community members out of the system. Building on our efforts to reform Chicago's historically regressive fines and fee systems, we bring those who need access the most back into the library. So basically, they're saying like late fees. Basically, they're saying if I get enough late fees, I'm just going to keep the book and never never go back to the library um, instead of you know eventually showing up and paying the late fee and bringing the book back. So it wasn't an effective tool for the problem that you're you're presenting.
1: Hmm. Oh. All right, well, I feel bad for anybody who's trying to get an Ernest Hemingway book starting next week. <laughs> that's all I'm saying.
0: I feel good for all the, like, the 350,000 people who are logged out of the library that now can go back and, like, access the internet and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's weird that you can't go use the internet if you owed late fees on books. Is that, am I understanding that correctly?
0: I haven't been to a Chicago Public Library in a while, but okay. that's kind of what the article made it sound like, and I'm assuming, like, you have to have a library card to... Like sign in or something like that. I don't know.
1: I would think the two would be independent of one another. <sighs> Maybe that could be the change. Who knows? See that I would I would support that as a change. So look, I want people to read books. I just want people who read books to to be respectful of other people that also want to read books. That's really my angle on this.
0: Yeah. So I, now what we'll have to do is like three years from now we'll have to do a follow up where. <laughs> We yeah. look and see how's the Chicago Public Library system doing.
1: I um, I grew up in the Chicago Public Library system. I mean, a good portion of the books I read when I was uh, just a little livious, um came from from there. The one on uh, Foster, the yeah, the one on Foster and Kimball, the Albany Parks nice. Library. Spent a lot of time there as a kid. So I mean, I have I have a, an adoration for the. Um, Chicago public library system. And even when I moved out to the burbs, I spent a ton of time and that's where my frustration comes from. Your book would be next and you put yourself on the list, you know, and they'd call you fancy libraries out here in the burbs. Right. And that call wouldn't come. So you check and They'd be like, yeah, sorry. So-and-so hasn't returned it yet. Well, fuck so-and-so for holding on to it. I hope you're charging them like $8 a day. Cause they're keeping me from the book I want to read.
0: So this is, it's sounding like this is personal, like, um, this could
1: be your Friday the 13th story. This is how I, I start killing people who won't return library books in a timely fashion. <laughs> Look, Rob, as somebody... I am talking about you here. As somebody that is known to read entire books in one sitting out of necessity, I would think that something less than 45 weeks is the right number, yeah. number of weeks. So
0: Yeah, yes. I, I see your point. And I, I like, my hope... I'm, I'm a more... I think that like typically you're a more optimistic person but in this particular case I would hope that the removing the burden of the guilt of of fees and stuff would make people feel like they 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 owe it to the library to be more timely I don't know or there's there's less like, I don't know, taking the guilt away. Maybe that just means, all right, today's the day. I've got the book and, and I've got time to stop by the library. I'm just going to drop it off.
1: All right. I could um, be um, around. Be be, there will be follow-ups. I'm going to keep a very <laughs> close eye on this situation to see if uh... <laughs> you're calling every month. You're calling Lori Lightfoot's office. Yeah. I'd like to talk about the CPL lack of fines. How are we doing? Is there a count for the books? I mean, there could be a run on libraries at this point. <laughs>
0: There's just going like to looting.
1: yeah there's oh shit i was gonna throw out an author name i'm not going to there's just copies of one particular author's book just kind of laying on a shelf <laughs> everything else is gone and that's just <laughs> stuff nobody wants so <laughs>
0: that's uh so you get well 45 weeks from now is when you're gonna have to check up right yes 45 40, 40 46 i guess 46 yeah. weeks correct
1: <laughs> correct fucking right.
0: chaos in the libraries
1: fuck man i'm so glad that I'm, I'm 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 done with the libraries i haven't been in a library in years i mean the one time i went in is just because they remodeled the library i spent a lot of time in um when i moved out this way so 25 years ago and i kind of walked through and it was a pretty remodel but it felt like it lost and, and it did because libraries nowadays are, are as much as we just talked about about internet access as right. they are about books So I really felt like it was less about books, which hurt my feelings a little bit. So So
0: what I'm getting out of this is like, you're taking a lot of this very personally. (laughs) I am.
1: I absolutely am. Dude, when I realized when I moved out here and realized that they were like, oh, uh, we can just get that book from another library for you. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, you'll ask them to bring it here so I can borrow it. And they were like, yeah. So look. The, um, are you familiar at all with the Cook Memorial Library? No. The Cook Memorial Library was started by uh, something something Cook, like in the 1930s or whatever. At any rate, this chick had a real hard on for reading. She ran a local like book club <laughs> and she talked her husband into donating like five or six plots of land in Libertyville. Okay. Now, for anybody who's not uh, familiar, it's a semi-affluent suburb um, in, in in you know the the northern suburbs of of Chicago. Um, basically, now you know, fifteen minutes from the border with Wisconsin. Well, at one point, when they need money, they just sell off a plot of land. Like one of those plots of land was sold off, like when they built Hawthorne Mall. So I mean, like mm. expensive land that they were mm-hmm. they were left. At one point, I was talking to a girl trying to find a book many, many years ago. And she says, no, I don't see it. It's not in our library network. She goes like, um, I'm going to put it in a note and see if we can order it for you. I said, order it. She goes, yeah, like we buy a copy. And I was like, oh, no, no, don't, don't do that. Like, I don't want the library to spend money on some shitty book that I want to read because it's a sequel to something I read or whatever, you know. And she's like, oh, no, don't worry. We never use all of our budget for buying books it's a pretty hefty budget so they literally ordered a book so you can put it on their shelf so i could take it out yeah that's how spoiled i was with (laughs) a library out here
0: (laughs) and you kept it for 45 weeks
1: no i brought it back so that i wouldn't (laughs) incur late fees and keep other people from reading it jesus rob i don't know it sounds like a very
0: privileged stance you're coming from here
1: yeah Dude, seriously, they were like, we'll just buy the book so you can borrow it and read it. <laughs> I was like, get the fuck out of here, really? And she's like, oh, yeah, our budget for books. She's like, we'll never spend all of it. As a matter of fact, she said, if we spent the whole budget, we'd have to build a whole new library just to house the books. And you know what? A few years later, they rebuilt the entire library. <laughs> so, Wow. Yeah.
0: Hey, uh, if I ever get super rich, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll do a, a Rob Memorial Library, even though I'm still alive.
1: Well, yeah, but people should remember you from before you had money. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, anything else come up I'm in gonna, book news? This yeah, week? I'm going to throw one at you. <clears throat> and so there's been there's been a trend lately of non, uh, I I want to say I don't want to say non authors because obviously these people are writing books, but like people who aren't known as authors writing books. So, Michael Mann, the guy that made Heat is is coming out with a book next year. And there was someone else, right? There's another non-author with a book coming out.
1: Does that sound familiar? Not even a little bit. Right, I know the Michael Mann thing, so I was kind of excited about that.
0: So uh, Michael Mann, and then I had to go look at our list, so I stepped away for a second. Brian De Palma, who is a, a movie director, um, is got a book coming out uh, in 2020 called Are Snakes Necessary? So I'm noticing a trend of like, especially people in film making novels, which is like, you know what, you know, stay in your lane, buddy, first of all. Um, But then, so I'm scrolling through the books subreddit on Reddit, and I see an, I see a headline that starts out very interesting, but it does not sustain. So I'm going to read you the first part of it. Quentin Tarantino is writing a novel. Mm. So far, so good. Yeah. Here's where it goes downhill. About a veteran who learns to love foreign
1: films. (sighs) (laughs) That's exactly what my response is. I don't even know. I mean, you know what? Yeah, I mean, it could be all right. I'm still stuck on this thing about the book writing. Like let's let's explore that concept. So Quentin Tarantino has written um a few movies, um most of them violent, right? Yeah. By and large. Not this last one. This this Hollywood thing. Is that even his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Is that it him? Is his. Yeah okay that one doesn't seem like it follows the the trend of um, most of his other movies. And then that sounds like if he made a movie that only played at like the, the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm you know what I mean? Like those, like uh, Sundance right. uh, channel movies that nobody ever watches. <laughs> but now, think slow, boring movie in book form.
0: Uh, how I feel so about instead that? of
1: two, instead of two hours of boredom, you've got at least six or seven. So
0: here's the here he talked about it in an interview because they were interviewing him and they talked about like he's retiring from film, blah blah blah. Uh, Right now I'm working on a book and I've got this character who, who had been in World War II and he saw a lot of bloodshed there. And now he's back home and it's like the 50s and he doesn't respond to movies anymore. He finds them juvenile after everything he's been through. As far as he's concerned, Hollywood movies are movies. So then all of a sudden he starts hearing about these foreign films by Kurosawa and Fellini. And so he's like, well, maybe there might... Maybe they might have something more than this phony Hollywood stuff. So he finds himself drawn to these things and some of them he likes and some of them he doesn't like, and some of them he doesn't understand, but he knows he's seeing something. Did you stay awake through that
1: entire Jesus Christ? That was no, I'm really <laughs> stifling a yawn. Jesus. Um, so the question becomes, money are these people getting paid to do that so does is is it a vanity project is it like you know i'm michael mann i'd like to at least say i wrote a novel you know close friend of the show david duchovny he's doing music right not super successful at it but he's doing it because you know in his heart he, he he likes making music right likes writing stories he didn't i don't think he did a ton you know money in in those they were they weren't wildly successful is that it is it just like a passion project or are they getting paid, like, huge money to well, do
0: these? Well, I think the De Palma Nalva is the one that's coming out on Hard Case Crime All books. right, so no.
1: So okay. that's
0: definitely not a a big money project. That's That sounds more like a passion project. Uh, I'm sure Michael Mann's going to land on one of the top five, the big five. And Tarantino, he'll get a seven-figure advance.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, that makes sense if you're going to get paid a lot of money. But I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hell, we could review it because only one <laughs> of us shies away from books we know are going to be fucking terrible. So I'm I'm in. I mean, we can review it. But I predict it's going to be awful. Wow. I, I, there's a little underhanded jab
0: at me right there. And that's the second time you've made that jab. Uh. <laughs> Would you say
1: that it's an inaccurate jab? Uh... uh.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. Well, the inaccuracy <laughs> would be the only one of us part of it, but I don't have any evidence to back my side up, so sure. I'm going to have to go with you on this. I am the one who is the only one who shies away.
1: I, seriously, I look at I'm like, you know, and, and this came up again t- for me personally the other day, whatever you had given what we had reviewed books in 2019, like what the ratings were. Right. And I was like, we're not reading enough garbage. <laughs> I mean... Which I realize sounds like a counterintuitive thing to say, but I go back to um books, beer, and bullshit. Like, those guys purposely got bad beers because it was important for them to occasionally drink bad beer and talk about it. And I feel like we should be occasionally be reading books that we expect to be bad. Now, we could be surprised. Not likely. Um I think it's happened the other way around where we read an author that we've heard great things about and we're like, what the fuck did we just read?
0: Well, that... um. Katarina book by James Frey we didn't expect much out of it that ended up being enjoyable
1: that's true and then we had um, Thomas Harris on on the other end of that yeah Kari Mora yeah we thought thought really excited thought it would be great and turned out to be a unedited pile of garbage yeah well are you saying that
0: we need to well our year our calendar is freeing up so now is going to be the time of year that we do jump into some shitty stuff if we want to
1: yeah I'll keep an eye out yeah. that's why I always like The Wheel of Meat see that was one of those that could go either way <laughs> that's how we got that Star Wars book there is and then, but we got a book we liked out of that too it's about that woman she wound up living in an inn by a by a lake
0: yeah the you know Sarah, Sarah Gruins by the Water's Edge Yeah, yeah by the Water's <laughs> Edge which was fine I recently acquired a British first edition hardcover of that book, by the way.
1: Very nice. As Rob, Rob's collection continues to grow. I don't know if we mentioned this enough on the podcast. Rob is seeking to get a physical copy of every book we've reviewed. We review a lot of books digitally. Um, So Rob has been working on this for a few months now. Yep. And uh, that's uh, a, I think it's interesting. I think it's commendable. Um, and I'm very excited to see if if, uh, if if he if he completes it. Now completing it might be a little bit of a challenge because you know this podcast is still going, so it's never yeah. complete, right? Until we yeah.
0: And I'm gonna have to reach out to that one author for a a physical a print copy of Backdooring the brat.
1: Oh, I doubt that actually is a thing. I
0: know that's. <laughs> so some of them it might be impossible for some of them because I you know I'm sure some of the stuff we've read is only ever. Been available uh, digitally, but um, like that human centipede, I don't know if we can get that as a book. I'd love to have that on my shelf, though. Oh,
1: words <laughs> no one has ever said before.
0: <laughs> Adam Millard hey, is wanna, listening, and he's like, "What?"
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to break this up, but it's just some breaking news. Uh-oh. I mean, from four days ago, but I just saw that. I am going to tell you. That I just went on an emotional roller coaster ride while we were talking. (laughs) Um, At some point, I was on the Bloody Disgusting page for, oh, from looking up one of the Jason things. And, you know, they'll show you, like, what the other articles are, Mm -hmm. like, on the side. Tony Todd returning as the Candyman. Oh, I saw that. In the Jordan Peele produced sequel. Mm.
0: So that's kind of like your Tarantino thing. (laughs) Like, it
1: started out great. Yeah, it started out great. Um, Let me explain. I really liked the Candyman uh, movies. Two of them, right? Yeah, there were two of them. Um, I I really enjoyed those. Those are Clive Barker adaptations. Big fan of Clive Barker's. Um, Jordan Peele. eh. Here's my exposure to Jordan Peele. Um, Get Out, which I thought was okay. Um, And then that fucking Twilight Zone debacle. Where he put together shitty Twilight Zone ep- episode <laughs> after shitty Twilight Zone episode, so I'm I'm a little lukewarm on him being being given the reins to uh, to Candyman. Um, but but it's nice to see that someone's still paying attention to the Candyman story, I guess. And it's being filmed in Chicago, dude. We can actually we could actually get in on this, maybe. I actually, work with,
0: I think two or three people that, um, are like actors, like as as their primary job. Mm-hmm. And they they do stunts, they do acting and stuff like that. So like, I know people that are in the Chicago film scene.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind being a an extra in a Candyman uh, movie. I doubt I'll get on if Jordan Peele hears my review of his Twilight Zone episode shows. But man, there's a, a scene in the,
0: <laughs> there's a scene in the new Candyman where it's like somebody kill those two book nerds.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But yeah, that's kind of, uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I want Clyde Barker to make a, a, a significant return to the, um, just, just to the, the, his presence in the public, if nothing else. So I feel like he's somebody we kind of let go of in the late eighties, early nineties and didn't yeah. look back to. And, and I think that, uh, he's written a couple of like, you know, one my favorite books. I mean, books that are in my like top 20 or 25, which I know sounds like, you know, uh, you know, a lot, but you know, I've read a lot of books too. So, so
0: I, I never got into Clive Barker like you did. Um, not that I didn't care for him, just never explored any of his, his writing or anything. But I did see something recently a video on YouTube where someone was talking about does the movie Scream stand up like, over time? And um, <clears throat> so they just look at what Scream is, when it came out, and blah, blah, blah. But then they start talking about. Wes Craven in general and um, like how some of the stuff that he made was just like pretty astonishing for its time and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's, it's nice to see people kind of get the recognition they deserve. This video was very complimentary of Wes Craven and all he did because like he did Nightmare on Elm Street and he did tons of other stuff. So um, it was cool to see someone scream was kind of the beginning of the whole like half, self-referential self-deprecating like the horror story knows about the tropes of the horror story thing so that was that was kind of a pivotal moment i think for at least part of the like the slasher scene
1: oh i agree wholeheartedly it it was also um i think and i mean we get an expert like jesse on this but like the revival of the slasher sure like we'd kind of gone away and if if at the same time you know when scream came out they were on like Jason in space, you know, where wasn't even being taken seriously anymore. <laughs> so I do think yeah. that Scream was was a little bit of the revival of the slasher. Which yeah, is interesting. I, I mean, those movies, I mean, slasher movies are far more approachable than, say, like cosmic horror. Right? right. Like more realistic. Like it could just be that your neighbor fucking flipped out and put on a Halloween mask and is walking around with a fucking machete versus, you know, whatever. Yeah. People turning into werewolves or whatever the other. Like some crazy, like,
0: bitch crawling out of a well.
1: Yeah, but you gotta admit, man, at least that first one, that was fucking creepy as fuck. That
0: was fucking terrifying.
1: Yeah, yeah. The ring, in case anybody is not aware of what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not talking about, like, the Batman movies, because then you fall down a well at the bit, anyway. Ring. Wow. Rings. I didn't know we were going to talk so much about horror in this episode, but it really became...
1: We're kicking off October, man. That's yeah, true. Booked-tober. Booktober. Booktober. Um, all right. Any other book-related stuff? I'm, I'm tapped out, I think. All right. I want to return to something we, we mentioned a little bit <laughs> on the last episode we had Jesse on. <clears throat> and I mentioned I went down a rabbit hole of the first ever YouTube video.
0: <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> uh, Here's what what's,
1: what's your update? Uh, well, I use this computer just for the podcast um it's it's in its own room Uh, on rare occasion i've used it to take like a work conference call on skype or whatever but but essentially whatever tabs i leave open stay open the following week and i sit down and i look at the tabs and i'm like all right don't need this anymore don't need this i'm like oh i had this tab open i should make a note in my phone or something that i want to look into something so for example the allegory of the cave that came up when we had misty on
0: it doesn't ring a bell at all.
1: Um, I believe it came out when we had Misty on, or it was something from the book from uh, uh, Blake Crouch's. Um, okay. Not Dark Matter, whatever it was that we reviewed. Like, I have a note to Precursion. read. Recursion. So last week, I was waiting for Rob and Jesse to get on. So I'm on YouTube. And I looked at something, and one of the recommended videos, I looked, and like, this fucking video they're recommending is from nine years ago. How the fuck is a nine-year-old video going to be relevant? And, and in some cases, I mean, I guess it could be. But I started thinking about how long videos stay on YouTube. So I thought, well, let's see what the first YouTube video was. So I, I did, you know, I Googled it. And I found out that uh, the first video was by one of the co-founders of YouTube uh, named Jawed Karim. And uh, it was him. It's called Me at the Zoo, and it is 18 seconds where he basically says like, uh, oh, here I am at the zoo." And there's some like animals in the background. And he's like, "Look at those animals." Blah blah. blah. That's the end of it. <laughs> this has 76 million views, um, and it's from April 23rd, 2005. So it's 14 years old, almost 14 and a half years old. And uh, the interest, the more interesting part about it. Is that it's getting comments to this day, <laughs> but what, it's become weird. What kinds <laughs> so, of comments? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> somebody hacked um, Joed's, which is odd because he's a founder of YouTube, and you would think that it wouldn't happen. Um, it has hacked his page, and essentially, it, it's it's a, uh, a trade off for subscriptions. So, if you have a channel, you can go here and post in the comments that you want someone to subscribe to your channel and that you'll immediately subscribe back so to build up a subscriber base Um, there had been give me a second I believe since we started recording this episode which was (laughs) what 40 minutes ago there have been about 20 comments added to a video from 14 years ago on YouTube and most of them are just somebody trying to get someone to subscribe to their channel. I'll read you some. These are the, the six most recent I'll read. The first one says, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And That says moon landing next to it. And then it says, these trunks are really long. That's pretty much all I have to say. And that says modern communication area, era next to it. Uh, let's see sub to sub I don't want no somebody in 2019 sub to sub sub to sub I'm loyal not a joke sub to sub I'm loyal and so on and so forth for three and a half million comments
0: that's fucking insane dude I it is so you have to do it i have
1: to subscribe no you have to post a sub to sub comment on there but dude if i do then i have to subscribe <laughs> to a bunch of people because i want to be loyal like these other people are and then I'll, I'll do my whole time will be spent signed into the book podcast youtube in case you weren't aware that we had one of those uh, subscribe to something
0: yeah. yeah
1: so All listen right. here's what i'll say if we get in the next week, before the next episode, twenty subscribers on our YouTube channel. I will do the sub to sub experiment <laughs> on the "Me at the Zoo" video. How do you like that transition? There, huh?
0: there I like that. I like
1: that. Uh, we did uh, get like three new subscribers in the last two days, two three days, which is a little weird. Not sure what caused that.
0: I noticed. Well, I'm gonna. I'm looking at our recent videos, and um, uh, our episodes don't pull a lot on YouTube. They're just kind of automatically posted there. We really don't expect them to do anything, but every now and then, you know, one will pop and get like 80, a couple hundred views, something like that. However, our Three from Hell movie review uh, from one week ago has already got 419 views.
1: It's like a 4 million percent increase over uh, our, uh, Tales, our from yeah. the crust, yeah, Tales from the Crust episode with <laughs> David James Keaton.
0: So I'm thinking... People are like, oh, man, I want to sub for sub these
1: guys. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, um, there are. Uh, there's a list of the 10 oldest videos on YouTube. Um, there's a, a, the one first backflip on YouTube. It's a guy doing a backflip <laughs> off the, the roof of his home. Um, that's probably the only one that looks interesting. First backflip backflip on youtube love it very good dude well just imagine being the person that that like seriously found this and you're like there's only one video what can i put on there to be the second video on youtube or whatever the 10th video or ninth or whatever
0: i know i'll backflip off of my garage there
1: you yeah go. yeah there you go so as soon as a new video service opens up rob i want you to backflip off your apartment
0: <laughs> i don't know if that's a good idea I That's did a get. Terrible. So I will, I will do a little Rob's little like window into Rob's life really quick. I got first of all, I'm gonna ask you a question. Have you ever heard the term scuttle hatch?
1: I don't believe so.
0: <clears throat> if you had an apartment that you were renting and you got an email that said scuttle hatch as the the um, the subject from your landlord, would you be nervous? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and then, so here's the body of the email. Could you please look up at your ceiling in your unit to see if you have a scuttle hatch and let us know. This could be in any room or closet of your unit. So scuttle hatch is like that attic, little attic pull down thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So I replied, I don't have one of those. And then this was like four or five days ago. This today, I get a text message from... One of the uh, people in another apartment asking if I replied to the landlord's email, and then asking if I have, if I've heard animal scratching coming from my ceiling.
1: Oh, um, that's uh, that's interesting. So uh, first thing you do is you reply to that text message by saying, "Don't reply to that email; it's a virus." <laughs>
0: That's... Uh, well, I didn't do that. I didn't have that thought. All right. Um, All right. But uh, I also don't have any animal scratching coming from the ceiling, so I feel pretty good about that.
1: But... <laughs> Did you ask them if they still hear a baby crying? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>
0: that would have been the best response. No animal
1: scratching, but do you hear that baby? <laughs> oh, my God, dude. See? I, I know, but that's the thing. You can't do it, right? Like These are your neighbors. You have to live next to them. But right. if only we lived in a world where it was okay... <laughs> you know what I mean? To just respond to things in, in the ways that we, we're pretty sure we should respond. Yeah. But then our judgment, you know, better judgment takes over. And,
0: yeah, yeah. Responsible adults, blah, blah, blah.
1: All right. Stupid. You ready to talk about what's coming up uh, next? Very excited about what's coming up next. Um, I would be more excited if I didn't feel like I was under the gun. Again, more on this next week. Um, we're going to be reviewing John Horner jacob's new book now we reviewed this is where i'm gonna put the um incorruptibles i see i was like i know it's not the incredibles because i know that's totally different thing but i'd not come up with the incorruptibles um many many moons ago probably six years ago if i had to guess yeah i think it was 2013 yeah it's pretty, uh, it's been a long time. But his new book is actually two novellas sandwiched into one book. It's called A Lush and Seething Hell, and it is Cosmic Horror. So, a great way to kick off um, October for our first book of October, I think. Yeah, sounds good.
0: I'm very excited about it. Um, nice to be back to a book after this one week off.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully, in two weeks, we can stop, like, vague casting. Um, we, we have an episode that I'm pretty sure is going to come together, and I'm really excited about it. Now, just for anybody who's paying attention, the last time we acted like this about an episode, it wound up being David Duchovny. Yeah. So you have to think. I, I'm not saying think movie actor or TV actor or whatever. Just think to yourself, man, if they're treating it like this, they must be pretty excited for what it is. And I got to be honest with you pretty fucking excited. And that's why I won't mention who it is. Cause uh, I mean, if it doesn't happen, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I'll be let down and angry and bitter. Um, But right now I'm just not going to jinx it. Just know that two episodes from now, I expect to have something that uh, I'll be honest. I didn't think was possible eight years ago, nine years ago, eight and a half years ago, we started this, this podcast and uh, even a year ago, probably didn't think it was going to happen. And now it looks like it's happening. So I am, Very, very excited.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for our first interlude in practically six months. Come back for Jacobs next week and the big, big exciting thing the week after. Until then, I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livius, then keep reading.